some thanks. So grateful to Brother Rodney, Brother Jeremiah, the entire music ministry uh, for leading us in worship this morning. Thank you, Brother Lewis. Thank you, ladies. Fantastic job. And we do thank the Lord. We thank you, Jesus, for blessing us. If we just consider how God has blessed us this week, he will produce within us hearts filled with gratitude that we would, would be ready, willing, and able to receive his word with joy and gladness this morning. Amen. Right where you are, just give, just give the Lord a hand clap of praise and bless his name this morning. Way to bless the Lord this morning. Thank him for his faithfulness. Thank him for his kindness. Thank him for placing food on your table, clothes on your back. Thank him that you got up this morning in your right mind with a decent portion of health. Just thank him. Just take a moment to pause and thank him as we prepare to dig into this word. Amen. Amen. Well, indeed, welcome to each and every one of you to this worship service of the church gathered at Forest Baptist. So good to be with you uh, once again. I'm Pastor Nate, and uh, I certainly miss every single one of you, and I look forward to being able to see you once again. But even as we are the church scattered right now, just uh, just prepare your hearts by considering Jesus right now. Pause and just say a quick prayer to the Lord. Father, help me to worship you in spirit and in truth. That we would be able to cut through all the distractions, cut through all of those burdens, cut through everything that may be keeping us from focusing on Jesus right now. Father, help us to worship you in spirit and in truth right now. Amen. Well, grab your copy of God's word and turn with me to Matthew, the 12th chapter. Matthew, the 12th chapter. We're going to look at verses 15 through 37 this morning. And as we prepare to dig into God's word, we've been studying the religious establishment response to Jesus. Their response to, to King Jesus who has made his way to earth and has brought the kingdom of heaven with him, the kingdom of God. And people have been responding in many different ways. And now we're particularly looking at those religious leaders, those uh, in charge of the churches, those in charge of the synagogues, those in charge of uh, proclaiming and declaring God's word to his people. And they're responding in ways that are uh, sinful. And as a matter of fact, this conflict between the Pharisees and Jesus has reached a a tipping point. And last week we read in Matthew, the 12th chapter at verse 14, it says, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. So this is not just a heart of indifference. It's not just a, oh, I'm not worried about what he's saying. This is actually a heart that is completely against Jesus. And this is where we pick up in the text this morning. So if you would, Join me in Matthew, the 12th chapter, beginning with verse 15. And if you are able, please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Matthew, the 12th chapter, beginning with verse 15. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. Jesus, aware of this, 
withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is, my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. Until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Then a demon-possessed man, demon-oppressed man, who was blind and mute, was brought to him, and he healed him. So that the man spoke and saw, and all the people were amazed, and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with, with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word this morning. You may be seated. I would just like to entitle this sermon for us this morning, Words Matter, the Unforgivable Sin. Words Matter, the Unforgivable Sin. Let us pray. Most glorious, most righteous, most holy, most faithful, most majestic Father in heaven, we do come. Father in heaven, blessed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, right now we ask that as in heaven the angels declare your praise and as in heaven all of those around your altar give you their full attention and focus. Father, as in heaven, as Satan has no rule, no way, uh, no ability to distract and to deny. Father, as in heaven, right now we ask that it would be so right now on earth. That you will pour out your spirit in a powerful and mighty way. And 
teach us and train us and instruct us and lead us in a way of righteousness. Father, we thank you for thy son, Jesus the Christ, our Messiah, our master, who has laid down his life that we may have fellowship with you. Father, may we never, ever take this privilege for granted. May we never take this opportunity to enter before uh, your mighty throne uh, throne room with boldness. May we never take it for granted, but may we always be grateful. And Father, even now, please help us to abide in you as you abide in your people. Please speak to us clearly and plainly through your word. May the preached word accomplish much as it goes forth, Lord. And as you use me, your weak servant, help me to be faithful to your text. Help me be faithful to your kingdom. Help me to glorify you above all things. So, Father, I ask that you would be with us this day. Please forgive us for our sins, those ways we have sinned against you, those ways we have sinned against one another, those sins of omission, those sins of commission. Father, just help us right now to be near to you. Help me. Help me. Please glorify yourself, Jesus. And we'll be careful to give you all of the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name we do pray. And all of God's people said together, amen, amen, amen. Well, beloved, when we even consider the subject of this morning's sermon, words matter. Did you know that words matter? There is a a cultural conversation right now, and they, they are asking the question, literally, do your words matter? Do words really matter? Does, does the words that are coming out of your mouth really matter in whom they affect and what they influence? You know, we already know that words matter. We can't just go anywhere and say what we want to say without repercussions. The great poet Maya Angelou, she said it herself, when someone tells you who they are, believe them the first time. And we have actually come to a time in our uh, culture where uh, the question is being asked, can a person be held responsible for what they say? Can someone uh, say anything that they want and not face or suffer consequences? Is all speech here in America uh, guarded by the First Amendment? Uh, When we think about places like America versus places like Russia uh, and and, and how uh, language is is clamped down there, uh, uh, so we see that we do have some freedoms, but yet uh, you and I both know words really matter, and words have a lot of weight, and words impact people for good and for bad. So even though we try to act like words don't matter when we say things like, well, you know, I really didn't mean it. Yes, you did. You said it. (laughs) Or you say things like, uh, I didn't mean to say that. Are you saying you didn't mean to say that out loud? Or even times when you say, uh, that's not what I meant. Then what did you mean? Words really matter. And as Christians, if anyone should know that words matter, we know that words matter. So no matter what uh, uh, sphere of influence, no circle uh, that you're in, whatever is being said actually matters. 
Christians should know this. We can't just say whatever we want to say because we feel like saying it. When we think about scriptures such as Proverbs, the 18th chapter and the 21st verse, the word of God says death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who live, who live it will eat its fruits. Or what about Ephesians, the fourth chapter and the 29th verse? Where the word of God says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. But only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. What about Ephesians, the fifth chapter, just a few verses over in the fourth verse? Let there be no fifth filthiness nor foolish talk or cruel joking which are out of place but instead let there be thanksgiving or what about that well-known passage in the book of James James the third chapter in the fifth verse it says so also the tongue is a small member yet it boasts of great things how great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people whom are made in the likeness of God. Hmm. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. I was just mentioning this morning, I love the fact that we're just preaching through the Bible so no one would ever accuse me of just trying to jump on the hot topics of today. But God's word, God's word has come before us this day and has, has confronted each and every one of us to say that your words, my words, our words matter. And the reason why our words matter it's because what you say says a lot about you. Who you really are is revealed in your speech. What's on the inside will only come out. And, and I'm not talking about like your code switching self, you, you know, that corporate vernacular that you come in and, oh, greetings, wonderful day to you. You know, not, not that kind of code switching speech, but I'm talking about the type of speech when you ain't around all your corporate friends, when you're not around all the people you want to oppress, when you're not around all the church folks, but you're around the people that you're just real comfortable with. I'm talking about those cats you grew up with. They know all your deepest, darkest secrets, and you're just chilling on the couch. I'm talking about that, that kind of speech. I'm talking about those words you use that are overheard. You know, are those words when, when, when you don't think anyone is listening and they hear it. Beloved, your words have a way of seeking out and revealing who you really are. And, it's, and that's the case here in the text because in Jesus' confrontation with the Pharisees, it's their words who, that reveal who they really are. Their hearts are so hard. And it's because of, uh, of their uh, 
that hatred towards God that this text moves on like it does. Their, their words reveal the, 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 the saturated wickedness and outright rebellion and rejection of God within them. And it's the depths of this obstinance that Jesus warns them and declares that they are in the realm of the unforgivable. And that's the big idea of our text this morning. The fact that rejection of Jesus's spirit filled kingdom is unforgivable. Rejection of Jesus's spirit filled kingdom is unforgivable. Quickly, to, to understand the text that's before us this morning, we let us consider specifically how the Holy Spirit works and his role within creation. Because we know we serve a, 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 a triune God, God the Father and God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, working and moving all throughout creation. We know God the Father is, uh, has his glorious plan of redemption, and he has, he has uh, orchestrated all these things to come into place. And the Son is the one who goes, and he redeems humanity, and he reveals the goodness and the word of God. And the Holy Spirit is sent to seal the word of God upon hearts to produce repentance and to draw people near to salvation. And it's particularly the work of the Holy Spirit that is being referred to in this text this morning. Because when we think about the work of the Holy Spirit, he is the giver of both physical and spiritual life. When we think about in the book of Genesis at the beginning when the Spirit of God was hovering over the earth, when it was void and empty, and it was the declaration of God that said, let there be, and the Holy Spirit infuses the world with his power and brings forth life. And it is the same way that the Bible says, and you were dead, and I was dead, and our, and our transgressions and sins, but God stepped in, and he made us alive through the power of his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the giver of both physical and spiritual life. And, and then we think about texts like in John 16 that says that the Holy Spirit has been sent by Jesus to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit, he progressively sanctifies Christians, producing tangible fruit of salvation in their lives. The, the Holy Spirit, he, he seals the people of God for that day of redemption when we receive Christ face to face. But even so in the text, the role of the Holy Spirit that we're focusing on is the fact that it is the Holy Spirit who empowers the work of ministry. It's the Holy Spirit empowerment, identifying Jesus as the Son of God, which is in question here. And so the first thing we want to look at in this text to understand is the fact that Jesus' earthly ministry is fully empowered by the Holy Spirit. How do we know that? Well, the Holy Spirit inspired the gospel writers, and they write such things. Look back with me to Matthew, the fourth chapter. I'm sorry, Matthew, the third chapter, at the end of the, that chapter in verse 13, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented, uh, prevented him, saying, I need to baptize you, and 
Do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so, for thus it is fitting to, for us to fulfill our righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. This is the revelation of our triune God all at once in the text of Scripture. But see here, the Holy Spirit is, uh, falls upon Jesus, and then, in verse 1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. So, so Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit, and now he's being led, he's being directed by the Holy Spirit. This is how his entire ministry would be directed. Look with me over in Luke, the fourth chapter, in the 16th verse. Luke, the fourth chapter in the 16th verse, Jesus walks into the synagogue. This is a, a word revealing who he is. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found a place where it was written again. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor. Everything that Jesus is doing is the result of him fully and willfully submitting to the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus comes down from glory, Philippians 2. He, he takes off him, uh, his robe of, of glory, sets it down, and comes into this world in order to save us, laying down all of his power and might that he may demonstrate for us what it is like to live a life fully empowered by the Holy Spirit. So everything Jesus is doing is, is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now hold on to that because that's, that's the key to understanding this text. And that's the key to understanding who Jesus is. So, so not only have we seen that Jesus has been walking and, and doing these miracles empowered by the Holy Spirit, but particularly Matthew inserts here Isaiah, uh, Isaiah's prophecy about the God's chosen servant and how he would be empowered and how he would uh, uh, react and respond to the people. And here in verses 15 through 21, he reminds us who Jesus is. Behold my servant. Whom I have chosen, beloved, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him. Again, a declaration of his spirit, his Holy Spirit empowered ministry, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. When Jesus comes, he's not coming to be braggadocious. He's not coming to make it all about him. He's not trying to gain a platform or, or he's not trying to gain a, a following. He's not trying to be all in the middle of the street saying, hey, look at me. But he's, he's quietly and faithfully doing the will of God. And not only that, Hebrews read, he will not break a smoldering wick. He will not quench those who are who are weak, those who are broken, those who are hurting. Jesus didn't come to break and hurt, hurt them or harm them any, far, any further. He's not trying to extinguish their weakly burning light until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. So, so this is a ministry, a, a, a 
declarative ministry, a ministry that is that he is declaring whom he is, the power, where it comes from, and what we must do in order to receive salvation. This is a declarative ministry. This is a humble ministry. Jesus is, 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 is not trying to uh, be king, be this lofty religious leader. He's trying to be faithful. This is a gentle ministry. But, beloved, what Matthew was saying is that this is a spirit-filled ministry. And then not only does he say it, but then he walks directly into the next verses, and he shows us once again that all that Jesus is doing is, 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 a, is a demonstration of his power through the Holy Spirit. And in verse 22, he says, Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw, and all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? His demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit and the kingdom that has come is opening, is beginning to open the eyes of more people. And they're saying, wait a minute, can this be the son of David? I thought David was going to come and, and take over Rome and, and rule. I thought David was a warrior. And they're just saying, wait a minute, can, can this be the Messiah? His ministry is so filled with power, he must be the Messiah. And one quick point of application that I, I, I want to lay out for you this morning is the fact that a, a spirit-filled ministry is undeniable. A spirit-filled ministry is undeniable. Because of how Jesus went about, because of what he accomplished, it, he wasn't pragmatic in the sense that he was willing to do whatever needed to do to accomplish his goal, but it was how Jesus went about his ministry. Is your life a demonstration of spirit-filled ministry? Can people look at your life and say, that person knows Jesus? Not only is Jesus' ministry empowered by the Holy Spirit, but the key in this text is how the uh, religious leaders respond to Jesus. And we see that empowered people actually reject Jesus' spirit-filled ministry here in verse uh, 24. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. This is classic gaslighting. They, they see the work of Jesus. They, they can't deny what he has done. But instead of acknowledging what Jesus is doing, they begin to try to distract and discredit Jesus. So instead of acknowledging what was going on, acknowledging that he was the one who should reign supreme, they begin to to. to distract and try to discredit Jesus' ministry by saying that he was actually one of Satan's demons and he was casting people out not by the power of God but by the power of Satan. This word Beelzebub is, uh, is directly translated. It, it means like Lord of the flies, but actually it means like Lord of the manure pile. And it was the name that they had gave to the devil as the prince of the demons. So in, in a sense right there, 
as as they are, are saying this about Jesus, this is an accusation of, of blasphemy on Jesus' part. They're saying that this is Satan talking to y'all. And they're accusing him of blasphemy in order to, to make things happen or in order that they would be able to destroy him. This isn't the first time they've done neither. We saw it before in Matthew the ninth chapter, right? Matthew the ninth chapter at verses 34, after Jesus, again, he heals a demon-oppressed man. But in verse 34, it says, But the Pharisees said he cast out demons by the prince of demons. The Pharisees' reaction to Jesus is deliberately uh, uh, defiant and sinful. They could care less what Jesus was actually doing for the people because it interfered with their hopes and dreams and their own glory. And that's one thing we, we, we have to consider even as we look at God's word this morning. Because those who, who think they have something to lose will always reject Jesus. Those who are holding on to power will always reject Jesus. Those holding on to their own glory will always reject Jesus. Those holding on to their own personal pleasure will always reject Jesus because at the end of the day, they want to be God of their, over their own lives instead of surrendering and allowing Jesus to be Lord and Master. Beloved, don't fall for the temptation of being empowered on this side of heaven because Jesus himself says in the the least will become the greatest, and the last will become first. But when you're holding on to this world, when you're holding on to jobs and relationships and, and, and people, places and, and things and money and, and this government, and, and when you're holding on to anything in this world, then your hands are not free to hold on to Jesus. These, reli the, these are religious folks. These aren't secular folks. These church folks trying to hold on to the little bit of power they have. And as they're trying to hold on to that power, they are simultaneously rejecting Jesus. But look here in the text. As they have rejected Jesus' spirit-filled ministry, Jesus rejects earthly empowered people. He, won't, he, don't, he, he has nothing to do with them. Look here. How does Jesus respond to them? In verse 25, he says, Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. What Jesus is saying, what you're saying don't make no sense. Because... If I'm on Satan's team, why would I work against my own team? If, 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 if I'm part of Satan's kingdom, why would I work against his kingdom and, and divide us and, and divide our power and divide our efforts? That What you're saying makes no sense. And not only does what you're saying make no sense, for all those people uh, that, that you raise up, those religious people who, who are doing exorcisms, uh, uh, then how are they doing exorcisms? If, if, if me, the son of God, uh, is doing them by Satan, then what y'all doing them by? Jesus is laying out their foolish arguments. 
just like the foolish gaslighting of our own day that makes no sense jesus is 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 is, is giving them the truth like yeah i ain't got time to play with y'all and then he goes on in verse 28 but if it is by the spirit of god that i cast out demons then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. What Jesus is saying here, he's saying that, all right, you say I'm casting out demons by Satan himself. But if I'm casting out spirits. If I'm casting out demons by the Holy Spirit, then you have to, you would need to recognize that the kingdom of God has come. And one way that you can recognize that the kingdom of God has come is the fact that I have entered into this world, to, to Satan's kingdom, and I have bound him. No longer does he have free rule or free reign to deceive, to tempt, to destroy, but I have tied the strong man up, and I am beginning to set people, I am beginning to raid his kingdom. I am taking people out of darkness and bringing them into my marvelous life. I am delivering people from, from blindness, from sickness, from disease. I, every single way that Satan has been oppressing these people, Jesus says, I'm come and I'm taking over. Can't you see my authority? And he's plundering Satan's kingdom, delivering people. And then in verse 30, he says, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Jesus is saying that there is no, there is no, uh, no place of neutrality when it comes to the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of Satan. There's no middle ground. There's no fence that you can straddle. You either are with us or you are against us. That's what Jesus is saying to you and to me today. We can't play with the world like we we have a choice to kind of be with the world one day or be with Jesus the next day. Jesus is saying that you are the you are either with me or you are against me. You are seeking to build up my kingdom or you are seeking to hinder my kingdom. And I tell you what, that we could no man could ever stand in the way of Jesus's kingdom coming. But then finally, verse 31. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. What is Jesus talking about here? This blasphemy that Jesus is talking about is an insult towards God. It is a, a, a way to try to injure uh, his reputation. But what he's saying is that it's something particular about these Pharisees. And, and one scholar, he puts it like this, by attributing the work and power of the spirit to Satan, the Pharisees are displaying their highest dishonor to God. They're saying God has no business here. As a matter of fact, everything that Jesus, Jesus has been declaring good is actually bad. They, they, they have seen the miracles. They have heard the message, yet they are so obstinate. They are so arrogant. They are so 
prideful that they actually say everything that is good is actually bad and everything that is bad is actually good. Beloved, what the Pharisees has done, just as we see in our own day, that there are people who will take God's standard and turn it upside down. And everything that we know to be good and right, because Jesus says the world is saying is bad, and everything that this world is saying is good, uh, uh, that, that has been bad, is declared to be good. So the actual, the, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is their, their permanent rejection, their uh, uh, persistent rebellion, and their denial of the power of God at work. The Spirit moving upon people's heart to deliver and to secure a people for himself. They are denying the Holy Spirit's power. One commentator puts it like this, Thus the only unpardonable sin occurs when a person consciously and willfully rejects the operation of the Spirit, bearing witness to the reality of Jesus as Savior and rejects the convicting power of the Spirit in his or her life. Another says that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is this willful unbelief, this persistent rebellion, this final denial. The only true unpardonable sin is when a person consciously willfully rejects the operation of the spirit bearing witness to God. In a sense, their actions reflect the type of heart of the people that Paul is talking about in Romans 1, that they know there is a God and they see the evidence of his presence. But yet, because they want to be God themselves, because they want to do what they want to do, say what they want to say, go where they want to go. They want to be their own God. They, they purposely reject God, ignoring his word. Beloved, there is no forgiveness apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is why this sin is unforgivable. It's unforgivable. The father sins. The son saves. He, lay, uh, he, he lays down his life. But it's the Holy Spirit who, who seals that salvation upon someone's heart. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts us of sin and, and, and leads us to repentance. It's the Holy Spirit working. And if any of us, as the Pharisees, deny the work of the Holy Spirit, there is no hope of forgiveness because it's the Holy Spirit that brings forgiveness upon our hearts. The rest of Jesus' words in 33 through 37 merely reflect that words matter in our reflection of a sinful heart. Verse 34, he says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And he goes in verse 6, I tell you, on the day of judgment, hear, it's not, hear this text, it's not just what you say, but it's why you say what you say. And Jesus is saying, people will give account for every careless word they speak. And the reason why we speak careless words is because we have careless hearts. Because he says, for by your words you will be justified. If in our hearts we believe Jesus is who he says he is and he, he has accomplished what he says he's accomplished, then we are justified and our life will stand upon that solid rock and we will speak from that truth. But if we don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and by your words you will be condemned. 
kind of like that text in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's not just saying the words. Beloved, listen, 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 listen to me this morning. It's not just saying a prayer, a magical incantation that makes you saved. But it's a mouth that is moved by the majesty of Jesus from your heart. If your heart hasn't been transformed, I don't care what you say. If your heart hasn't been redeemed, it doesn't matter how, how loud you shout it. But only if Jesus is the one moving in you to make that profession. That's why those who have really been saved and got no problem opening up their mouth for Jesus. Because it's not like I want to just uh, uh, cry out, but it's the fact that I know what Jesus has done for me. I know where he's brought me from and what he's brought me to. I know how good and great this salvation he's given to me. And because I know in my heart of hearts who Jesus is, I, I want to open up my mouth and declare. I want to open up my mouth and proclaim because I know what Jesus has done for me. And if Jesus has done anything for you, then you should want to open up your mouth and declare it from the mouth of God. I guess the question or the elephant in the room in a text like this is, can this unforgivable sin take place today? Can we be guilty of this unforgivable sin today? Well, simple answer is no and yes. No, in the sense that this particular sin, this unforgivable sin, it, it is specific. It's pretty specific in the sense that Jesus was walking the dusty roads of Galilee. Those religious leaders at that particular time were eyewitnesses to Jesus' ministry, his demonstrations of power, his demonstrations that he is the Son of God, his demonstrations of the Holy Spirit, and they were seeing people transformed, delivered, and changed right before their eyes. And with all of that wealth of information, and uh, not only did, were they indifferent, but they fully rejected who Jesus was by denying the power of the Holy Spirit and attributing that power to Satan. So that unforgivable sin is specific. But then, yes, in the sense that the unforgivable sin is symptomatic. Their sin here was symptomatic of a heart that hated Jesus. Their, they were, this is the situation they were symptomatic in the fact that they wanted to be God themselves. So ultimately, when we think about today, the only forgivable, the only unforgivable sin is rejecting Jesus's offer of salvation today. Jesus is calling you and he's calling me to him right now. If we reject him day in and day out, there will be a day when it becomes an unforgivable sin when we leave this life. Because when we die, there is no second chance. There is no purgatory. There is no nothing. But there is eternal life 
and we will either live eternally with God in heaven or we will because we rejected him. He will reject us into hell away from his witness in his presence. This is a clear warning from Jesus this morning. So one thing we do need to consider is who should worry about the unforgivable sins. The person who should be most concerned about the unforgivable sin are those who may have grown up in church or they know the Bible. They know a little something about Jesus. But they, they are willfully rejecting him because they they're not ready. They're not ready. They're not ready to do Jesus yet. They're not finished having their fun. Beloved, the scriptures are clear today is the day of salvation. We don't know when we will take our last breath. But not only that, Jesus said here, and this is for you, Christian, uh, you may not have blasphemed the Holy Spirit, but have you blasphemed the name of Jesus? Have you blasphemed the name of Jesus by uh, insulting Jesus with your unbelief? Jesus, you can't fix it. Jesus, you're not strong enough. Are you insulting Jesus with your, uh, by being unforgiving? Here he has forgiven you of much and you can't forgive someone else of little. Are you insulting Jesus with your disobedience? Then what do we need to do? Whether we are a believer or unbeliever, we need to pray. Those who have made a profession of faith that Jesus is their, is their Savior, we need to pray that the Lord will open up blind eyes and deaf ears. And those people we know, our family, friends, and loved ones who we know hate Jesus or we know have turned their back on him, we have to get on our knees and pray. Or maybe you're an unbeliever. You get on your knees and you pray today, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I believe Jesus has come to save me. Would you please draw me near to you? And again, it's not magical words, but it's a heart that truly believes Jesus is who he says he is. We need to pray, and we also, uh, for believers specifically, we need to repent. We need to repent, repent of our pride and our, uh, our idolatry. We need to repent of every single thing that we're holding on to that hinders us from fully holding on to Jesus. But then lastly, we need to, we need to proclaim. We need to make known the message of Jesus Christ, both with our lips and our lives. In, in a way that when people hear you speaking, they will know you belong to Jesus because your words only come out of the abundance of the heart. So if you got a problem speaking rightly, if you got a problem speaking edifying words, don't worry about changing your, your mouth. You ask the Lord to change your heart. Beloved, words matter. And we see this in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, and verse 3 says this. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Beloved, have you been living a life that says Jesus is accursed? Or have you been living a life that says Jesus is Lord? 
you may have been real reckless with your words in the past. But Jesus says, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, knowing that he lived a life that you could not live and died the death that you deserve. Look to Jesus in repentance and Lord and ask him specifically, Lord, forgive me for my sins and name them one by one. And you look and you look to Jesus saying, please draw me near to you. That I would be faithful. And that my life and my lips would match up. Beloved. Your words matter. Because like Jesus says. On the day of judgment, for by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. May the Lord have mercy upon us today, that by our words, we will be justified. Let us pray. Father and God, we thank you for your mighty and powerful word, for your glorious truth. Father, we need you today. Because rejection of your spirit-filled kingdom is unforgivable. So, Father, I pray for the one who is just struggling, miserable in their sin. I pray that you will not relent. You will not let up until they humble themselves before you. And they will let go of every single thing that they feel empowers them. And they would love you with all their heart, soul, and strength. Father, I pray for your people that we would be encouraged knowing that in you we have life and hope and that we don't have to worry about the unforgivable sin because the fact that we, our minds are even stayed on you lets us know that we have been forgiven. So, Father, I pray that you would just glorify yourself and you will have your way. Draw one unto you today. In Jesus' precious and holy name we do pray. Amen. Amen, beloved.